Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community practicing the way of Jesus and thirsting for the life he gives. So I'm going to invite up Gail Patterson, who is going to share with us this morning something that's been on on her heart for a long time, actually, it turns out, uh, to share with us. As you may know, Gail and Mark, who are dear friends, um, will be moving to Seattle in a few weeks. And so we just wanted to take the opportunity now um, to receive more of their wisdom. And just I, I pray that our hearts would be open to what it is that God wants to speak to each one of us. When Gail and Mark speak, I listen. I just so appreciate this opportunity to share with you. God's been kind of nudging me to do this for about a year, and um, I didn't know when it would be, but it's today. (laughs) As you know, we're leaving, and I'm not exaggerating when I say I cry every day about leaving the beauty of Vermont and leaving my family in Montpelier and leaving all of you because you're my family as well. We love you. Mark and I love all of you so very much. And I'm just not going to go into that too much or I'll start crying, you guys. So we'll just cut it off there. (laughs) Recently, I was talking to someone and I had shared my story with them. And she said to me, you know, Gail, when I see people like you in church and they seem all happy, clappy, like they've been riding the joy bus all their life, I either think they're, uh, they've never suffered or they're just lying. They're just fronting and putting on a show. And that really got to me, and I thought, before I leave, I want to share my story with all of you because the things we've been singing about this morning, that Jesus comes and brings healing and merciful grace and love into our lives, It's true, you guys. So I'm going to start way back before any of you were born. (laughs) Well, actually, first, I think I'm going to read a a scripture out of uh, Paul's second letter to the uh, followers of Jesus in the town of Corinth. Because what he's talking about is when we turn to Jesus, then Jesus comes to be with us. He lives inside of us. And I know some of you are just here kind of exploring the faith. Others of you have been Christians for a long time, and there's just this whole gamut of people. So hopefully this will speak a little bit to all of you. But um, as I share my story, I think that this loving little old granny up here with the white hair may have some things to say that will surprise you. And so Paul says, I think we're going to put this verse up on the overhead, Jordan. Oh, it's up. Oh, it's up. Oh, my gosh, the magic of technology. For God said, let there be light in the darkness. And this, and for, I'm sorry, I've got to start over again. I'm a little bit twitchy this morning, so I'll just get it out of me, squeeze my toes or whatever. For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light to shine in our hearts so we can know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. And that's what I want to tell you about today.
the fact that I am a fragile clay jar, that I am full of cracks and chips and whole pieces that have broken off and the whole thing fell apart, had to be glued back together, but that God loves to be with us in that place. And, you know, don't you think it's true that often church is the last place we can come and show our cracks and our flaws? I mean, we come in here and we think, dang, i got to get my act together. I'm so screwed up. If people really knew what I thought about or what I was like or these addictions I had or this, these questions I had or these failures, how much I yell at my kids. I mean, you can name everything that they just would be scandalized and wouldn't want to hang out with me. But think about Jesus. He says the opposite. I mean, who did Jesus hang out with when he was here on earth? It wasn't the religious people, you guys. In fact, he had some pretty choice words for them if you read through the Gospels. But it was people like prostitutes, lepers, people who had mental health issues, people who... um, were tax collectors who were really despised and hated in their culture. But those are the people that Jesus hung out with because they knew they needed help. The real religious people who had themselves all covered with good deeds and stuff, they didn't even recognize that they needed a doctor. But the poor people, the rejects, they knew they needed the Lord. And so... Church should be the place we can be the most honest because we're all cracked clay pots here, all of us. And um, I feel like Jesus has not changed. He still likes hanging out with people like that. And so all of us have messy lives, don't we? I mean, you just have to scratch the surface of someone else and you find out, oh, you too? You have this struggle. I mean, it's so true, isn't it? Raise your hand if it's true. It is. Yeah. You're not admitting anything. You don't have to get up here and spell your gut. I'm just, this is not a test. But Jesus hasn't changed. He loves to be with us in our confusion. And the thing that I have found is the more I open up that kind of opening into my clay pot and let Jesus' love come into that place and love me, either directly through him or through my brothers and sisters, because if you have put your faith in Jesus, Jesus lives inside of all of you. So I see all kinds of little Jesuses out here today. That's what we are when we come together. And it is a beautiful thing, and we have to get off of this thing where we feel like, man, i got to look so good. No, I think the crappier we look, the better in some ways. (laughs) Now, Now, I don't mean that totally, but you kind of understand what I'm saying. Well, actually, I do mean it totally. (laughs) And so that's how love grows between us, too, because we can have compassion for each other, and we're not all judgy. And so today I'm going to tell you my story, and hopefully it will inspire and motivate you to have the courage to do that as well. And I know so many of you here, and I know your stories, and I think, oh, my gosh, they are so wonderful and encouraging because it They show the faithfulness of Jesus. So I grew up hearing about Jesus, and I asked Jesus into my heart when I was five years old and went to church. But I grew up in a dysfunctional family, just like every single one of you. You know, dysfunctional families are on a spectrum, you know, but they're all dysfunctional to some degree or another. So let's just be real about that, okay, and accept that's true. Thank you, Connie. (laughs) 
But I was an anxious little kid. We moved a lot, and um, I was I got lonely because of that because I was always having to make new friends. And uh, my family was a very emotionally intense family, to put it mildly. I always thought I was an introvert compared to all of them. I was shy and insecure, and I was nerdy before it was cool to be nerdy. So this is in ancient history, you guys. So I'm 77, so think about it. So, But I was also the second child, and I had that role of being the family fixer, and so I felt the responsibility to fix everybody's emotions, to keep them happy, to keep them feeling good, including my mom and dad, and that was just an unbearable burden. It was just too heavy for me. And finally, in ninth grade, I started experiencing my first bouts of depression, feeling overwhelmed and never feeling like I was good enough, always feeling like I was just missing it. Well, then I went to college and got caught up in party life, and I just walked away from Jesus. And I look back now, and I just think, how could I have done that? But then I think, well, I can understand how I did that because I still wasn't, I didn't have that mature adult faith. It's almost like I think when you get to be an adult, you have to re-choose Jesus. You don't just kind of slide in. And we have to keep doing that through our whole life as well, as you'll see from my story. But Jesus started calling me back, and I went through a really painful breakup. But I was felt so renewed in my faith. I felt so loved and forgiven by the Lord and also by God's people who knew me and who just welcomed me in with open arms. And um, it just started making more room in that cracked pot for him. It just got a little bit bigger. And then I met my wonderful Mark. <laughs> We got married really young. We always say we were kind of just kids and we grew up together. <laughs> but um, marriage was hard for us, hard for me, especially because I had to get over trying to love my, get over the disappointment of what I thought was my dream husband and learn how to love my real husband. And how many of us have gone through that in marriage? Isn't that, you know, one? No, you don't have to raise your, I won't embarrass you. <laughs> but I know who you are. <laughs> and so, um, but we both were believing that we knew Jesus was for our marriage. And so even, I mean, there were times when I just wanted to check out, you guys, this is embarrassing to say, but I just wanted to leave. Mark was much more faithful than me. But God kept us close to him. We kept turning back to Jesus, and we had more renewal and love, and I had more room in my heart for Jesus. And then we got involved in campus ministry, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Anybody here with InterVarsity? Yeah, yeah, so you know InterVarsity. And then we went on to pastoring um, churches. Let me get straight here in my notes. But I was still plagued by this depression, and it was getting worse, and I started having panic attacks at night. I didn't know what they were. They didn't have a name for those back in, back in the old days, back in the dark ages. <laughs> but I just had this overwhelming sense of guilt, of my life just being a failure, not measuring up. 
But then we had two kids, Emily and Josiah, and we were so grateful because I had so many miscarriages in an effort to have them, and then even afterwards, because we really wanted four kids. And um, I uh, just had all a ton of miscarriages, and then finally in 1980 had a stillbirth. And that was just devastating to me because not only did we lose our baby, but I lost my trust in God because I thought, how can God be a good God who loves me and let this happen? And I just could not put that together and just had this terrible, conflicted um, uh, conflict. I'll just go back to that word. <laughs> but I just had this conflict in my soul. And so for about a year, I just was missing in action and walked away from Jesus. I had friends who would come and sit with me, pray for me, but they didn't lecture me or try to fix me, fortunately. They were good friends. But at the end of that year, I felt like I needed to make a decision. And my decision was that I was going to not lay the blame of our dead baby at Jesus' feet. I was not going to blame God for it. And even though I didn't understand it, I was also going to recognize that there was real evil in the world, that Satan is real, that there is a real evil presence in this world that is out to destroy us. And our bodies are afflicted, our emotions are afflicted. Uh, and then the second decision I made was that I was going to accept that mystery of life, the mystery of the goodness of God and evil. Have any of you ever struggled with that? issue wondering about that. I mean, this is a common thing that we all feel. And so again, there came this time of renewal. I felt forgiven. I felt loved by Jesus. And I could feel that clay pot was getting stretched bigger to hold more of Jesus' love inside of me. And then um, I was, but I was still plagued by depression and anxiety and panic attacks, and they were getting really, really bad. I was suicidal a lot, and I just didn't understand it, you guys. And then in 1980, 1985, some friends prayed for me and prayed against the depression and the anxiety and just some other things, and God healed me. And I felt like I could have had polio and had a healed leg. It was that dramatic. And I was able to go to bed at night without being terrorized by these awful thoughts and suicidal temptations and panic attacks. And I, just, I didn't know God could do that. And I know God doesn't always do that, but he did this, this time in my case. And I was so grateful for it. And so we moved back to California then in 1985 or 86, can't remember which year to plant a church in Palo Alto. And in doing that, I said, OK, God, no more kids. I give that to you. We're going to be happy with the two we have. And um, we just were in a really good season. And then one day, a lady showed up at my front door. And I was alone. Mark was actually taking our, our son up to college. And she had heard, gotten my name from some neighbors, and she asked if I would be willing to take care of her little nine-year-old boy for a month while she went to get some mental health treatment. And then I saw this little head peek out from behind the mom, and there was this dear little face, and on that face I saw utter terror. 
had been left with strangers many times before, and he was just terrified. But at the same time I saw his face, I felt God speaking to me again. I don't hear audible voices. I don't want you to get, I don't want to go there, okay? <laughs> but I just had this strong impression. These words went through my mind, I guess would be the way to say it, where God was saying, this is me, Gail. You can do it. Mark's going to be okay with it. Go ahead and take Tony. <laughs> what? God said, God said right? <laughs> And actually, this is the son who is helping us move out to Seattle, if you can believe it. I mean, it's just amazing. And so, um, so Tony came to live with us, and basically his mother never took him back, never could take him back. And so after a few years, I realized, you know, Tony is the same age as our baby would be if he had lived. Isn't that amazing? And then Tony had had terrible loss. His father abandoned him. His mother was severely mentally ill. And I talked to Tony one day about how God brings good out of these evil things in our lives and how he brings the lonely into families and how he cares for us. And then seven years later, his little sister came. Four kids, you guys. She had severe attachment disorder and needed a stable mom. But I could feel God's love growing inside of me because I saw these kids and just had this compassion for them because of what they'd gone through. And I also got to know their mom. And she would come and spend holidays with us. And she had just had the most traumatic upbringing. And so out of that, it's kind of like God just grew this compassion in my soul and ability to love more deeply. Um, and then when I was 55 in December of 1999, I was in a very bad accident, and I suffered a lot of physical injuries, shoulder ripped, and had to have four vertebrae fused in my neck, just in a lot of pain. But I also suffered a brain injury from the accident. And that was a real difficult recovery. I couldn't think straight. I couldn't read. I couldn't get my emotions to be even. They were just up and down and up and down. I was angry. I was deep. I was sad. I just all over the map. And um, I had just, before that accident, I had just become licensed as a personal life coach and I had started a business. And I had to actually let go of that business because I just couldn't do it. I didn't have the mental capacity to do it. All my prefrontal cortex got damaged. And so all those organizational skills, making breakfast was like a nightmare, trying to get scrambled eggs and toast on the table at the same time. My husband turned into an amazing cook and still is. <laughs> but... Um, I also couldn't be a stable mom for my little girl, Shani, who really needed that because she was so reactive to me. And so here I was with this head injury, just in constant pain all the time. And I was going to these doctors at Stanford at the time. This was the early 2000s when Purdue Pharma really was telling their lies. And so they said, well, you really need to take OxyContin. It'll take away your pain. You won't get addicted. It'll make you feel so much better. And I just said, no, that's a street drug. I wouldn't even think of doing that. 
So I resisted for about a year, and finally the pain was just so intense, I said, okay. And boy, did I ever feel relief. But boy, did I need also to keep upping my dose because, you know, I'd use it for a while, then I'd need more to get the same relief. I was not getting high from this. But the doctor said, as long as you're taking it for pain, you'll never get addicted. And so, you know, you don't always believe something a doctor says to you. <laughs> that, followed by that, was what I called my lost decade. The depression returned. I felt so hopeless. I had several family members that were in really bad places, and I couldn't find God. I felt really isolated. And, you know, drugs, opiates do that to you. They really isolate you because you kind of turn in on yourself. And I don't know how to explain that. If, if any of you have been addicts or addicts out there, you know what I'm talking about. But in early in 2008, I just thought, I am such a failure as a wife and a mom. I'm a pastor's wife, for goodness sake. How can this even be a thing? And I was unknowingly addicted to these opiates. And so I started to believe this lie that Mark and my kids would be better off without me, that I was an albatross around their necks, and especially around Mark's neck. And, you know, he never, ever shamed me or made me feel like a loser. I, that was just Satan talking to me and me talking to myself. And so I started to believe that I couldn't see a way out. And I, I had known Jesus since I was five years old, you guys. And here I'm in my late 50s, and my, my, my life is a complete wreck. And so one day, I just had enough. I just wanted it all to stop. And um, I went to bed with a bottle of pills and took an overdose and just had handfuls I was shoveling into my mouth. Now, God did something amazing. He woke Mark up, and Mark never wakes up after he goes to sleep. And he, I just remember him saying, Gail, what are you doing in forcing my hand open? And all these pills fell out. And the next thing I knew, I was in the ER, and then I was locked up in the psych ward. And that is a terrifying place to be. I don't know if any of the rest of you have ever been in a psych ward on suicide watch, but it's really frightening because... All of your choices are taken away from you. I realized what I'd done, and I was just overcome with shame and remorse. I didn't know how I was going to go forward. Uh, my kids knew. I didn't know who else knew, and I felt so such agonizing humiliation because it was just the antithesis of everything that I wanted to be. But... Um, we just hobbled along, and Mark retired, and we spent the next year just kind of recovering, but I couldn't tell anybody about what I'd done. I felt so much shame, and I couldn't believe that God loved me or accepted me in this terrible place. And so we decided to meet, move to St. Louis to be near our oldest daughter and our to be our, near our oldest daughter and some dear friends, and those were five years that began healing my shame because I could tell my story to just a couple of people and they loved me and they didn't judge me and they didn't reject me but they had compassion and they could um, they could identify with me and 
And during that time, of course, what do you think happened to my heart? <laughs> it just kept getting bigger. <laughs> and I felt like, let me get my page, page numbers in line here. Um, and so then, at the end of that five years, seven and a half years ago, God called us to Vermont. Again, not an audible voice, just a strong impression that we should move to Montpelier to be near our oldest son and our oldest grandkids. And so we moved here. We didn't know of any churches. You all, the first week we walked in here, we just felt like we're home. And it's so worth the drive from Montpelier. I mean, it has been a joy every week. I mean, just seeing nature without any billboards is amazing. <laughs> And so um, when we moved to Vermont, we've been here seven and a half years, and four of them have been the hardest years of my life, and three and a half have been the most wonderful, marvelous years of my life. So I want to tell you about that as I'm drawing, trying to draw this to a close. <laughs> I was in, still in a lot of physical pain, um, but I had some really good doctors, got a spinal stimulator, and just uh, that really helped me a lot. But I spent a lot of time alone because I just, you know, I couldn't go very long because I just didn't have the strength for it. But meanwhile, we had a pretty severe family crisis that caused just a huge amount of pain. I thought I was going to die from it. I went down to about 108 pounds. I just kind of, I couldn't eat. Everything in me hurt because I tend to somatize my emotional pain it always comes out in my body somewhere, and I'm sure that's true for a lot of you. But anyways, getting back to that, um, I you remember how I was raised with that model that, oh, Gail, you're the family fixer, and so here's this huge crisis, and I couldn't fix it. I couldn't do anything about it. And I just felt like, well, what am I for then? What's my identity? Who am I if I can't do what I'm supposed to do? How can I please God? And so Mark and I decided we should go to counseling again. <laughs> We'd been many times before. And we went to the most wonderful counselor we've ever been to here in Vermont. <laughs> I mean, isn't it so random that I found these amazing doctors and then this wonderful counselor here in little Vermont, even though I lived in the Bay Area of California and St. Louis and all these big cities. This has been the place where God has really met me with such grace and goodness through doctors and through, of course, this church. <laughs> and so when I went to the counselor, she wanted to talk to us about our dysfunction, <laughs> Mark's and mine, <laughs> which was kind of a surprise. We thought we were going to get help with this family crisis. She says, no, I want to talk to you guys about you, about your marriage and all that. And I got free from that sense of responsibility. That's all I can tell you is God set me free. And there were weeks I would come here crying, weeping, and you guys, you would pray for me, you cared about me, you loved me, you wept with me, and I can never, I can never begin to thank you for the gift you've been to me. And even those of you that I don't know very well, just your presence and to see you following Jesus and to see what God is doing in your lives, because I know the stories of quite a few of you, and I feel like you could get up here and go toe-to-toe -to -toe with me on this kind of testimony, because you've had your own crises. And I should say Mark got his clock clean too, but that's his story. <laughs> and if you want to ask him, 
Oh, if you want to ask him, you can do that later. <laughs> but I have to say that the last three years here have just been so filled with joy and healing and just lightness of heart. And I feel like my heart keeps getting bigger because I just keep receiving more and more of God's love and saying, oh, Gail, you really did screw up as a mom and as a wife, but I was able to face it and know Jesus saying, Gail, it's okay, I hang out with messy people. You know, you're just one of the, you're one of the group. And so I just want to talk to you as my brothers and sisters and say that I am a clay jar and I know that you look at me like this lady who's been following Jesus all her life. But it's been a lot of hard things because life is hard outside of Eden. Life is hard, and we know it's going to be hard until Jesus returns and brings his kingdom. But this is just the way that Jesus works and God works. He doesn't despise our weakness and failure he loves us in those places and bring, brings healing and new life. That's what the treasure is. That's the treasure that the scripture, can we put that back up again? That's the treasure that the scripture is talking about. So that you guys will know that the power, the great power that maybe you've seen in me or in Mark or others who are probably even older in the faith or just your own peers, that doesn't come from us. It comes from God. Because the love of Jesus has been poured into our hearts as we've been honest with God and honest with each other. And so I just want to leave you with two encouragements. Is that okay? Everybody up for two encouragements? Okay. First of all is keep turning back to Jesus and let him be with you and love you. He is really good. He is our morning star. He is our priceless treasure. And his love is unlike any love you will ever find in the world because he sticks with us. He doesn't let go. And I was, as I was singing those songs and we were doing that little reading this morning, I thought, oh my gosh, that's just reading my mail, a God who forgives. And then the second encouragement is keep turning toward each other because we need each other, because Jesus comes to us through each other. And so take that really seriously. And you might say, I'm too screwed up to pray for anyone or to talk to anyone. I don't even want anyone to get to know me. That's the whole point. We are screwed up. I mean, think about this. In my 70s, I was finally learning how to let go of this sense of responsibility I had when I was 10 years old. And so God plays the long game. Don't forget that. But turn toward each other and Find one person or two people that you can really open your heart to and let them pray for you. Let them be with you in your place of darkness, you guys. That's how God has saved me over and over. And my story on one end, it looks pretty ugly. You think, dang, couldn't that woman get it together by the time she was in her 50s? But I didn't realize what life was going to break, and life is hard and has many challenges, and we need each other. And I just want you to look around this room. These, look around this room. Everybody, look around a little bit. These are your people. This is our family. And we need each other, and we can love each other. So I'm winding this up here. I told Adam I'd try not to go on too many rabbit trails. Um, Remember, 
that Jesus tells us we are never too messed up to help someone else, to pray for someone else, to share a little of the love, that magic that God has put inside your broken up pot, <laughs> but it's shining out. So that is my story. And, um, you know, there's that song that goes, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. I just want to say praise to Jesus and praise to um, his people who have um, been so good to me. And um, I think that's all. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm not going to preach. I'm not going to preach this morning just because we heard a sermon, right? Um, but Gail, I do want to just thank you for your vulnerability and sharing that story with us, encouraging us. And, and it does remind me, we've been hanging out in John chapter 17, which John chapter 17 is a long prayer by Jesus for his friends. And, and some, some of the things that, that Gail shared reminded me of this verse in John 17 that I want to read for us. And it's John chapter 17, verse 11. Jesus is praying this out loud for his disciples as he's about to go to the cross. He's about to leave them. He says, I will not remain in the world any longer, but they are still in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them safe by the power of your name. It is the name you gave me. Keep them safe so they can be one just as you and I are one. Gail, what you were sharing, I was thinking about that prayer by Jesus for his friends. And, and one of the things that I love about Gail's story is people who've lived a while, who are the old great hairs, they have a story, right? There's life that happens. And, and what I appreciate about Gail's is there's these ups and there's down, there's this freedom and deliverance, and there's a, a new journey of like despair and pain, and God, but Jesus is there the whole time. And he, he says, Jesus says in this prayer a few verses later, that I was able to guard them, Father, when I was here. But now I'm coming to you and I'm, I'm asking for you to do that work. And then, of course, God sends his Holy Spirit to the disciples, right? To see them through all the hardship they're going through. And so I just want to say a prayer for all of us. Because Jesus prayed this prayer not only for his disciples, he also prayed this prayer for you and I. Because in that prayer, he says, I'm not only praying for these disciples who are here with me, but for all who will believe. So he's, he was praying this for you and I. And, and as Gail was sharing today, telling about her story, that's an answer to Jesus' prayer for her. So I want to pray in accordance with Jesus' prayer for all of us. Can we do that? Heavenly Father, we come to you in humility knowing that Jesus prayed for us, that you would, would keep us safe, that you would stay with us, that you would um, hold us together when we're falling apart. We thank you for the testimony that we heard from our friend Gail on how you've done that time and again through her life. Lord, I pray for my friends here. They might be right in one of those dark places. Holy Spirit, would you come and hold them together? where they need to be held together. Lord, for my friends who are in a really good place, as they, get, as they, as they live their lives, um, these hard times are going to come. And, and Jesus, we just agree with your prayer 
That we don't have to depend on our own ability to hold on to Jesus, but that the Holy Spirit is actually helping us hold on to Jesus during those times. So, Lord, would you be reminding us all today that you're with us, that you're for us, that you're working in us and around us and through us. Lord, I pray a special blessing on my friend Gail and, and Mark today and all those who resonated with uh, the scripture she shared and the story that she shared. Lord, would you bless them as well? And we ask all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You're listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at www.wellchurchvt.org.